let me tell you a secret. Veterans are entering a world full of opportunity, but you can only participate if you know the tricks of personal branding, leveraging your skills in the modern digital economy, and most importantly, positioning your benefits and assets to give you financial control when you stop following orders. I'm Scott Tucker, and I'm here to tell you what they don't want you to know. Welcome to Veteran Wealth Secrets, where we show you how to go from apathy and aspiration to autonomy and financial control. All right, hey everyone, welcome back yet again to Veteran Wealth Secrets. I'm Scott Tucker, and thanks for joining us. Whenever you're seeing this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're seeing this over on Facebook, do us a favor, hop over to YouTube and make sure you're subscribed over there. We're, we actually had a, got a bunch of people newly subscribed over the weekend. Maybe folks were bored, locked down during the Thanksgiving, but either way, I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving. And uh, the next conversation we're going to have, I'm, I'm really excited to talk again. Someone I, I met a long time ago at, a, well, maybe not a long time ago, but a year, year and a half, two years ago at uh, a West Point Entrepreneurship uh, Summit. And I, we might have seen each other at a few of those other uh, conferences as well. There's a bunch yeah. of those that were going on there. Yeah. But uh, Patrick O'Neill, CEO of AMP, you're good. I've loved those types of groups as they come together because you tend to find mentors. And I know that's what you wanted to talk about today. It's something coming out of the military, even in the military, having a good mentor in some capacity, whether or not you're in your command or not, is something you don't always get to choose. And But when you get out in the real world, whether you're looking for a job and doing a normal military transition or getting into business, identifying what a mentor is, I write about my book. I didn't have a good experience with mentors. I realized I was falsely led into something. But anyways, that's not what what this is about. But quickly, Patrick, why don't you tell us a little bit about your story, uh, getting out of the military? How'd you get into to entrepreneurship? Yeah, sure. The uh, the getting out of the military pieces, I went on active duty in uh, 82 after I uh, graduated from West Point. Mm-hmm. And went into the uh, Army Corps of Engineers. I had a great five years in the middle 80s uh, serving on active duty. But I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. And when it came time for me to decide whether to uh, continue my active duty service or to uh, really just do something else, what I had learned from my parents growing up was a real strong pull. And so uh, I left active duty and began a career that has turned out to be a mix of working for some big companies, starting a couple of companies myself, selling some companies across a couple of different industries. Oh, very cool. What's life life, life like for you these days? As Has the whole lockdown and stuff, has that impacted what you're doing? I, I'm guessing, I'm really excited to hear about Amp Your Good because it, it seems like you're doing some social things and, and especially with people losing their jobs, losing their businesses, it sounds like what you're up to is needed more and more. Yeah, we've been very fortunate. Amp Your Good as a company was, and we're about seven years old at this point. It was really founded on the idea that there are a wide variety of, we'll call them social issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people will think of them in terms of social impact. And uh, we've got expertise in technology, marketing strategy, and how to build public-private partnerships. And so what we've done along the way is look for uh, things that we thought we could apply a business solution to that would generate uh, social impact and and do it at some great scale. What I've got behind me, uh, Give Healthy, that's a brand that we developed. I'll get into the details of that in a moment. But Mm -hmm. our, our two main projects these days are both 
fundamentally public health related projects. One is called Stop the Bleed. We partner with the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, a bunch of healthcare organizations, actually taking something that is transferring military knowledge into the private sector. And that is that that campaign is about teaching people how to stop traumatic bleeding that somebody might be experiencing whether it's a car accident or they might've gotten shot or some other way that they've damaged or opened up an artery and are in danger of bleeding out and bleeding to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the ambition of that campaign is to uh, train people much like they know CPR so that if they come upon somebody who's bleeding that way, they, they know what to do to stop the bleeding until uh, professional help arrives. That's one campaign that whose ambition is to train 200 million people domestically. Oh, wow. And it comes out of the military because about 15 years ago, there were a lot of soldiers dying on the battlefield in Iraq mm-hmm. and Afghanistan who were just bleeding out before they could get to a MASH unit. And soldiers were trained how to stop bleeding using a tourniquet. And there's some other things you might use. And as soon as that training took place and soldiers were carrying tourniquets on their body, the number of people on the battlefield dying from a blood loss dropped dramatically. So it was a a proven way to save lives. And here in the United States, there's about 40,000 people each year that die from blood loss. And a lot of them can be saved if somebody that's nearby knows what to do, because depending on where you're cut, so to speak, you can bleed out in three minutes, maybe five, 10 minutes. And it usually takes a first responder 10 to 15 minutes to get to the scene of an incident, car accident and whatnot. So the only people that can really help are those that are right there if they know what to do. And the other big project for us in my background is Give Healthy. And the idea of Give Healthy is that you know hunger, uh, and it's been getting a lot of attention lately with the pandemic effects on, on, on people. There's over 50 million people who are going to food pantries and food banks this holiday season because they don't have enough to eat. And so one of the popular things that happened this time of the year is organizations do food drives. And most people are familiar what you do with a food drive. You get some canned food, you bring it to a collection box someplace, and you know then it gets to a food pantry or uh, a food bank. And our idea was to develop a different model of how to donate food. It's essentially an online model so that uh, people could donate fresh uh, fruits and vegetables instead of canned goods. And the idea behind that is that the people who go, who are uh, needing food assistance have very high rates of diet related health issues. And the reason for that is because they have a bad diet. And the idea that they would go to a food pantry or a food bank and get uh, cheap canned foods, which is generally not high quality food, that sort of exacerbates their health issues. It might feed them that day. The Food Assistance Network has really been working hard to try and up the nutritional value of the food that they distribute. So we're a way to turn food drives from collecting canned goods, some of which are fine, but many of which are not, to enable people to uh, donate fresh fruits and vegetables. And it's an online model. In answer to how Amp Your Good is doing, our Give Healthy part of our business has exploded as, a, as an online way to do something that you just can't do with companies operating remote and schools uh, operating remotely. Uh, so we're working with hundreds and hundreds of groups around the country who are running very successful food drives, raising uh, fresh fruits and vegetables. And our team right now is as busy as they can be. So that's that's good news for our business that mm-hmm. we have a solution to a problem that really exists right now. And our Stop the Bleed stuff is down a little bit because the number one public health issue right now is obviously the pandemic. But businesses, on balance, it's, it's good. And then uh, just a moment, uh, uh, trying to work family and business balance, which probably mm-hmm. most of us uh, struggle with. 
Uh, we have three kids in college. Uh, they've been gone to online learning with the pandemic. So they're uh, all back home now, even though the semester doesn't end for a couple of weeks. And yeah. um, they're uh, cooped up, feeling cooped up like <laughs> most are, but it's you know basically okay. Yeah. Now's the time I like to think for opportunity. It's, hey, we still got the internet. This is a time like we've never had in all human history. Given what you're doing, taking food drives online, so to speak, how intuitive just to see an opportunity there that was clearly being missed. But that's what entrepreneurship is. And I think many veterans, when we're getting out and we think, oh, you know, I want to get out and I want to start a business. So that means go get an LLC, find a lawyer, get some funding. What's the business? When really the best thing to do is say, there's a problem that's not being solved. I want to see if I can solve it. Yeah, you know, that's right. And I think most people, if they take a moment to think about it, are probably a subject matter expert in some problem, something that they can see right in front of them that many people experience. And I think taking the approach that I don't like the way this works, or I think there's a better way to do it with something that you're familiar with, as opposed to just starting to read books about problems. A lot There's a lot of educational value in, in reading about what others have done. But I think that trying to tackle problems that you have some understanding, and I think coming out of the military, just by virtue of the training that we've all received, we're all either natural problem solvers or we've learned how to be problem solvers. And in the case of food drives, the food drive market, if you will, you've got 100 million people that donate food to food drives every year in this country. That's billions of dollars worth of food. And I became familiar with it because we have four kids and the school that they all have gone to locally, grade school, does a food drive every year. And I was very frustrated with the fact that in health class, most of us would have taken health class in middle school. Their health class has had about a week of classes on health and nutrition, basically what food you should eat, and what food you should avoid or eat less of. And, and most of us would understand what's on the list of things you should eat and what's on the list you should not eat or not eat too much of. I think most of us have that knowledge. So the kids would all come home with these lists. And then invariably a month or two later, the school would do a food drive. And the list of things that the kids were asked to bring in were a much closer match with the list of things that they should eat less of than the healthy food. And the biggest reason for that was all the healthier stuff tends to be perishables, whether it's fruits, vegetables, cuts of meat, so on and so forth. So that was very frustrating to me. And it tied into something that I learned growing up. I grew up in a restaurant family, one of six. We all worked with mom and dad growing up in this restaurant, doing all the jobs you can do. It was in a small community. And my parents, one of their ways of helping the community was to make meals for people who were in tough circumstances, usually temporary tough circumstances, but some kind of distress. And so I really learned growing up that a, a good way to help people is with food. And, and my parents would make meals that were essentially restaurant quality meals. And their, their perspective was, you're going to help somebody. You don't help them with the leftovers. You, you give them what you would expect or hope for how somebody would help you. So it was always good. My parents were good cooks. The restaurant had good food. So you know, we were bringing what we thought of as pretty high quality food. Understanding how to help people with food or having that as part of my DNA and then being very frustrated with how these food drives were working. Those were the kind of two touch points that got me really thinking there's got to be a better way. And you know, that's what led to the give healthy part of what we do. 
Yeah. It sounds like getting back to the the topic, we want to dive into a little bit deeper. Growing up with your parents in the restaurant business, I don't know if you consider them mentors or not. Probably, I think we all consider our parents mentors in one way, but you, you were able to witness them actually seeing an opportunity to help people. And then so many years later, you're like, ah, I have a skill set. I can implement it. But going into the military, obviously mentorship's a, a big topic there too. And in business, Patrick, what's mentorship mean to you and how do we find a good mentor? Because in this day and age, it's easier to connect with anybody with things like LinkedIn and stuff, but sometimes that can be a detriment if we're not careful. Yeah, you're right, Scott. I think I wouldn't have thought about them as mentors growing up. They were my parents. They happened to be great examples to learn a lot of things that I was able to apply later on. But in terms of more broadly how I thought about mentorship, let's say post-leaving mom and dad and getting out you know, into the world, I was very fortunate to have a great mentor almost fall into my lap. It was my first boss after I left active duty, and that was a long time ago. That's 35 years ago at this point. And that relationship started then. It continues to this day. It's somebody who's almost 20 years older than I am. And besides working for him for several years, post working for him and getting a lot of great advice during that time. He is, uh, we've had a lifelong relationship that uh, covers a lot of ground. I've been very fortunate to have some other mentors along the way who didn't fall into my lap. And, And I guess what I would pass along as advice is that when you're looking for a job, for instance, most of us will do some research on different companies. We'll invest a lot of time trying to land a job that we're that works for us. I think most of the advice that uh, people would get is if you don't have a job and you're looking for a job, your full-time job is doing the things you need to do to find a job that works for you. If you're leading a team, if you're in a management position and you're looking for new hires, you're interviewing a lot of people. And I think that being very purposeful about finding people, uh, start with one and and Mm -hmm presumably more over time, who can be your mentors is requires you to put have the same mindset as looking for a job. And, and that means you can meet people who are prospective mentors and you decide it doesn't work for you. They may decide it doesn't work for them, but and you and it may work for a while and then you realize you might need something else. But having the mindset that mentors don't fall out of the sky and it's just, oh boy, I, you know, one just happened to me. You really, if you have an understanding of what you think your broad needs are in terms of advice and coaching or connections. What I found is that if approaching people to form a relationship that could lead to a mentorship, if it's intentional and you've done homework and that person can appreciate you're investing your time and energy to try and develop that relationship, you have a much better chance of having those kinds of conversations that can lead to, okay, this is this is our relationship. And I've had a multi-decade career at this point. Some of my mentors now are much younger than me because they are digitally fluent uh, or fluent in things that are happening that I just don't have an ability to have direct experience with. So I think it's, I would advocate very strongly for anyone, no matter what you're doing, to think about developing a, a, a couple of mentors that can help you and presumably you offer some value to them, but mostly to think about it as an area that it can be as beneficial as any next job that might be a step up the ladder or a company you're starting to have people who will care to take the time to give you thoughtful advice, not always the correct advice, but thoughtful advice 
that you feel that they are, you know, acting in, in, in your interest in their role. Do you think that the definition of mentorship is changing given the new age we're in? You just said it. I mean, mentor is always considered to be somebody much older than you, but it's, no, it's somebody who can give me insight into something that I, I need help with. And this world is changing, not just technological, but it's just changing in so many different ways. And a lot of times, maybe mentorship goes both ways. I think that's I think that's spot on. We've got a, a 12 year age gap between our oldest and our youngest uh, child, and the technology differences between the oldest and the youngest in terms of what tools they use to communicate, how they communicate. Our younger kids are text first communicators. Our older kids are not, and the gap between my wife and I and our kids are 30 plus years, and we've seen so much change as our older kids were going through, let's say their teens and into their twenties. And then another big change again, let's say correlated with smartphones or the iPhone, you know, 11 years ago or so. And I see things continuing to change rapidly. So I think mentorship, to your point, Scott, is getting some assistance and perspective in domains that you don't have the expertise. So I, I agree. Yeah. Do you, actually in that regard, are veterans to likely to only seek other veterans for mentorship? And should we be looking in that domain of the civilian world? Like, how do we communicate? What's it really like out there for someone who hasn't lived on a base and, and been closed for off for a few years? How do we find more civilian mentors and get them involved with the veteran community? Because I know they want to be. They're always like, oh, gosh, thank you for your service. We want to help. I don't know. And that's another great point, Scott. I think that the military community, active, retired, or post-active duty, it's a very small percentage of the whole population. And just from a law of numbers, there's more activity uh, going on outside of the military community, veteran community, than inside of it. And, and what I've observed along the way is that I, I think that there obviously is a natural affinity between veterans. You whether you serve in the same branch or different branches, or you're in the same branch in the same specialty area, you know, there's a that common bond of uh, service to country. And sometimes maybe we did the same job or we were in the same unit. There's different levels of connectedness, but there is that common bond that makes it more comfortable to communicate with people who you have uh, something uh, in common that's important. And I think veterans should support each other in, the, in that way. The danger is that spending all your time doing that cuts you off from the vast majority of what else is happening out there. And, and as you as you say, I think there are uh, many people who lie outside of the veteran community who are very interested in supporting veterans, but they need some help in figuring out what that actually means. And so I think it's more incumbent on veterans to get involved in, in the non-veteran community. There are veterans chambers of commerce, for instance, that I think a lot of veterans participate in. But if you belong to one of those, you ought to belong to the Chamber of Commerce that's in your area that's not the Veterans Chamber of Commerce and spend time in both. I think that would help most people. That. No, absolutely. Bottom line is we're the ones that have to put ourselves out there and, and learn the skills because you said it. We're a small set of the population. And so we can't assume that everybody's just going to be out there and do you know, take care of us and, and tell us exactly what to do. Patrick, th thank you so much for coming on and sharing uh, so much insight on something that's so important, I think, is overlooked. And especially even so you've inspired me to I need to be seeking out again, because if you did have a bad experience, 
maybe it wasn't a bad experience, but it's, oh, maybe I outgrew my mentors or something like yeah. that, thinking about it in a different light. As we wrap up here, you know, your missions are, you're a for-profit mission, right? For Gosh, I think that's so important, so genius because there's so many nonprofits out there that struggle because they're all looking for funding or whatever, when really they're a business anyways. What's wrong with getting a profit? You can actually help more people because you can scale and, and grow. And as you said, you're working with hundreds of organizations for these missions, which are usually considered to be a nonprofit thing. Who should be uh, connecting with you? What? Yeah, an easy one for this time of the year is there's a wide variety of organizations that do food drives this time of the year. Okay. And the schools, businesses, civic organizations, faith-based organizations, and uh, many of them just can't because they're operating remotely. People can go to givehealthy.org. It's a great website that explains how we work. We make it very easy to do a food drive for whatever food pantry or food bank you want to support here in the United States. That's some something I certainly would advocate for, both because we're a way to get it done, but really as importantly, right now, the numbers are staggering. You know, There's 53 million people who are going to food banks right now. One in four children don't have enough to eat in, in our country. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, I've seen the, the the videos of the lines of cars and everything. And yet we're destroying crops. Like this is a crazy time that we're in. So th thank you so much for being a true entrepreneur and solving a real problem and making it available to the masses. I know there are a lot of veteran service organizations out there that Maybe not, usually it's maybe helping homeless veterans or something along those lines. I, I know that there's lots of groups out there that could use your service. So appreciate it. We'll, we'll make sure we get it out there and get it into as many uh, hands as possible. But cool, cool. Appreciate it. Really great to be on with you today. I, I appreciate it. It's always great to talk to another West Point entrepreneur and, uh, and maybe find another mentor in my own life. So it's thank you so much for coming on and sharing everything you're up to. Are we allowed to say beat Navy? Is that uh, yeah? Of course. If they if they don't do what Air Force did and cancel the game, which is <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Oh great! Well, cool. Thanks again, and thanks everybody for joining us again. Make sure you subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Veteran Well Secrets. Be sure to subscribe to us on all the podcast channels, also on YouTube, and share it with a friend. Visit our website at usvetwealth.com to get access to all of our free resources, including the first three chapters of Veteran Wealth Secrets, the post-military guide to gaining autonomy and control. You can get that today on our website, first three chapters for free, or you can go to amazon.com if you want the Kindle or paperback. We have other resources all over the website, so check out usvetwealth.com to learn more.